Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. We recently celebrated the 80th birthday of one Bernard Sanders, so perhaps it is only fitting that the rest of this month's lineup of guests be made up of various staff from the Sanders campaign. This week, we'll hear from David Sirota, followed by Philip with these hands Agnew, and Brianna Joy Gray pulling up the rear. Very exciting month of listening ahead. Now back to David. <laughs> in part one, David, who's a self-described late bloomer, grew up in the very depoliticized 1980s. Looking back, it's kind of funny to see that he got the itch for politics and journalism in high school when he took an elections class and ended up representing, wait for it, the Clinton campaign. <laughs> Well, everyone, <clears throat> who are we here with today? We are here with none other than Ricky Rhoda, Mr. You Love to See It. Uh, and the, the illusion is apt because every day he be hustling. And if you are a subscriber to the Daily Poster, you know what I mean. He, he keeps you have the most informed inbox in the game uh, because of him and the work that he and the other writers uh, do at the Daily Poster. In addition uh, to just kind of keeping us all aware of what's going on and why, because if you're like me, you don't know anything about like congressional parliamentary procedure but you know he gets us up to speed and he keeps us in the know uh we are speaking with david sirota today how are you doing david i'm good thanks for coming no thank you um how are i you said doing? coming out to denver yeah yeah yeah. i appreciate mile it mile high and i'd do it again i'd <laughs> i'd i'd venture to antarctica to be able to <laughs> to be able to speak with you how are you doing i'm good i'm doing oh. i'm doing well okay right on all right because we have a limited amount of time and I need all of the, th I need to know everything about you, every single thing. We're going to start at the beginning. You are not originally from Denver, right? I am not originally from Denver. Where are you from? Uh, I grew up in, outside of Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Uh, Why did I think you were from like the woods in the Northeast? No, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Philly, okay. Yeah. You're a hometown uh, boy. Before right. that, I was born in New Haven, okay. Connecticut. All right. So uh, I came out here because, uh, well, I was living in Washington, D.C., yeah. uh, working uh, on Capitol Hill, and then I got I worked on a campaign in Montana mm -hmm. for a guy who uh, first ran for Senate, didn't win. Mm -hmm. Then he became governor, and I moved out there to Montana with my uh, then fiance and yep. soon-to-be wife. Uh -huh. uh, and then I didn't want to go back east, and my brother was living down here in Denver, huh, going huh. to medical school, so we wanted to stay Be out here, so family. we came down here. Right on. Yeah. Okay. What, so how old were you when you moved from New Haven to Philly? Oh, I was a baby. A wee tot. Yeah. Okay. So I grew up m almost all of my childhood. In, in Philly? Outside of Philadelphia. Uh, uh, uh. What was that like? Where, where, like Cherry Hill? or? So I grew up in a town called Abington, uh -huh. uh, which has... Uh, which is right near and has become most famous for uh, ABC's show, The Goldbergs. Oh, uh, -huh. uh I am a character <laughs> on The Goldbergs. Nice. Uh, because the, my best friend uh, in middle school and high school is Adam Goldberg. Oh, okay. Who's the central character in that 
primetime ABC show. Oh, so right the on. show is all about us growing up in uh, Jenkintown, which is the town right next to where uh-huh. I grew up, uh, outside of Philadelphia. Okay. What was it like growing up there? Were you hell on wheels, David? Tell uh, the truth. Uh, How I, would your parents describe you growing up? Uh, I, I would ah, say, ah, they, they, you know, it's funny. My parents thought I was a troublemaker. Why? And I guess I was kind of a troublemaker. Why do you but say like, that? Uh, because I always was like getting in the middle of, of like conflicts and sort of troublemaker, meaning like I wasn't like, you know, doing illicit stuff. It's sure, more sure. like I was just like, you know, I would talk back, be a class clown, <laughs> uh, always in the middle of every argument, that kind of thing. Ever. So you're mischievous. Yeah, you know, um, and I always, I, I was a little bit uh, defiant towards authority. Why do you think that was? Because I'm, I was taught from a young age to, um, that it's okay to always ask questions. Ha ha ha, your parents gave you that. Yes, and my religious tradition gives me that. Ah, which, what is I'm your? I'm Jewish. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. So, you know, one of the original things is like, you know, at Passover, there are the, the questions and in, in my religious tradition, it's mm-hmm. your, you know, n- no question is a bad question. Okay. So in my family, we ask a lot of questions. Uh-huh. Did it, did you ever, did you used to get your hand slapped a lot for like maybe some of your questions where the, the adults at the time thought were age inappropriate or were, the, were you always kind of Sure. Encouraged? I could definitely annoy people with <laughs> enough questions sure. and peppering and yes. That, so okay. that, yes. Um, but obviously I, I think that's, um, served me well in the sense of, of you, if you're a journalist you that's your job is yeah, to ask questions that's right and not back down uh-huh. yeah interesting um how what what did your parents do for work growing up so my father was a uh, nephrologist oh. which is a uh, kidney doctor oh I, i'm messing that word up with something else necrologist is something else there's a neurologist uh-huh I don't know what a necrologist necro is dead right necro is dead okay nephrologist is you don't want to if if you can avoid it, you don't want to have to see a nephrologist. Gotcha. Nephrologist is kidneys. Okay, okay. So you don't want to have kidney issues. Uh, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. Okay. So your dad was a nephrologist. Did your yes. mother work in the home? Uh, my mother uh, basically raised us three kids, okay. uh, three boys. Uh-huh. Um, uh, she was a teacher. Oh, right. Um, and yeah, you know, it was like a, it was a really, frankly, it was an idyllic upbringing. Yeah, like yeah, we yeah. were in the, you know, in a, in the uh, suburbs of Philadelphia, yeah. you know, by a, good parents uh mm-hmm. you know uh, I, I was really lucky really uh-huh. fortunate did you and you where do you fall in the pecking order of your siblings i'm the oldest Ooh, okay yes All i'm right. the oldest and i'm a scorpio Ooh, yeah. god okay that's difficult <laughs> for me but that's okay we're gonna move past it um what uh what like did you when you were growing up did you think more or less like everybody lived like you in your family like did you feel like exceptional or did you think like no oh, this is kind of a normal kind of situation you know, that's a really good question. I, I think that when you're a, a very young, I think it's hard to n- get a sense of what's outside of your world. Like it's, hmm. I think typically your world is a small world yeah. when you're younger. Uh-huh. Um, but I, you know, I think by the time I got into middle school and high school, I had a sense of, um, you know, my parents were fortunate uh-huh. uh, and that there were and and we had i mean frankly we had there was economic privilege uh in the sense of like you know physicians get paid pretty well yeah right i mean i mean my dad wasn't like you know ceo of a giant tech company sure, or something, sure, sure. but like physicians do comparably well yeah, yeah so like you know you get a you get a sense of that and mm-hmm. i and you know i i i i 
I learned to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And also I should, I should add, I mean, I wasn't like living in a, in a vacuum, not understanding, um, economic privilege mm -hmm. because they didn't grow up, uh, with a lot of money. Ah, uh, they, did they, here. did they remind you of that? Like, were you aware well, my of that? As a child? I was very aware of that. Mm -hmm. my, and my grandparents made us very aware of that. I mean, my, my grandfather was, uh, uh, was not born in the United States. Mm -hmm. He was uh, born, my mother's father was born in Russia, mm -hmm. uh, came over with literally no money, mm -hmm. uh, fleeing the- um, Pogroms? The, the pogroms mm -hmm. and all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so m money and the knowledge that it can be fleeting mm -hmm. was always on, was always sort of in the background, okay. right? Even even though they, you know, my parents did were, were very comfortable. Yeah. But it was always like, you know, I mean, it's kind of intergenerational trauma, if you will, mm -hmm. of always fearing that like something could go wrong, and mm -hmm. it could all go away, right? That's the trauma. Is that how you understood it as a child, though? Absolutely. You felt that like your your lifestyle, which I, I presume you know kind of maybe leave her, leave it to beaver it. Like you lived in a home, yeah. you didn't want for yeah. anything, you yeah. know, you didn't have to worry about food, lights being on, right. blah, blah, blah. You, you felt as a child that like this no, could I change. No, I didn't feel like it was gonna be stolen away, but it was always like. Um, it could be different. It could be different. Uh -huh. You never know when it's gonna be different. Uh -huh. And so at minimum feel gratitude, appreciation huh. and recognition for what you do have. I gotcha. But did, am I understanding you to say that like, more or less, before you got to high school, your 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 sense of uh, like your community's class standing not that you not that you understood it as such, but you know more or less we're you know we're all the same, and because this is kind of, not insular, but you know this is my community, this is how I understand right. other people to live. But then that changed in high school. What 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 yeah, about that change? Yeah, I mean, I think you just become more aware that there's other that the little bubble that you're in is only a little bubble. But how right? did you become aware of that? I think it was everything from knowing more kids from different parts of the city. Oh, okay. uh, I think it was, I mean, it was, and it, by the way, it could be as simple as, you know, we were big um, Sixers fans, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, Phillies fans. Yep. And when you go down to the game, yeah. the way you get there, get, get there yeah. the way the city is situated, mm -hmm. you go through a number of different areas, uh, some of which are some of the most impoverished areas in the country. Yeah. And so when you're slightly older and looking out the window and thinking through things with better knowledge of history that you've learned in school and better knowledge of economic issues, you it sort of starts to click mm -hmm. uh, about, hey, you know, I live, I've been living in a bubble. Okay, okay, all right. How would your, how would your teachers or parents describe you as a student growing up? Were you a pretty good student? Uh, <laughs> uh -oh. Uh -oh. my my i don't think anyone would think i was a bad student my 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 dad uh was a and my mom were incredible uh i think academic overachievers why do you say that um well my dad was the written up in the new york times mm -hmm. uh, only i only know this because my grandmother his his yeah. mo his mother had the whole uh, uh, pictures on the wall in their little ha in their little apartment in Florida when mm -hmm. we would visit them. Mm -hmm. they, they, the grandparents very traditional, you know, snowbirds, snowbirds uh -huh. moved down to Florida yeah. to that's where they retired. 
and there's a whole wall of, uh, you know, every photo and memorabilia imaginable from my dad's childhood. And one of them was uh, a, a story in the New York Times where he and his twin brother mm -hmm. were the twin valedictorians at their college. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Right so it was on. like a big like, oh, there's, a big, you know. The big deal. Yeah, it was yeah, big yeah, deal. Yeah. So they were like very. So all of that is to say that I think in comparison to them, um, I was like a decent student, mm -hmm. but they always thought that I um, didn't, not always, but at times didn't put in enough work in my studies. Mm -hmm. And I think that they came to understand that it wasn't because I wasn't a serious student. Mm -hmm. It was because I wanted to do, I was spending some of my time doing other things. Like what? Like the high school newspaper. Huh. Or uh, we, we wrote plays. Uh, we did, you know, all sorts of stuff that's like you wouldn't call just like messing around. Sure. But it wasn't strictly academic. Exactly. Oh, okay. So they were. So I think, by the way, I think me being a the oldest child. Yeah. It was their first experience with a child. Ah. So they didn't necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. know. And I, I think by the time that my youngest brother mm -hmm. was, a, they kind of understood that, like, you know, grades are important. Right. And as long as, you know, if you're, if you're getting B's or A, you know, no problem. Right. Like, if you, as long as, and that's the way I am as a parent, uh -huh. which is like, I don't want my kids. Uh, you're a well-rounded kid. Like, have to have interests that, that, that can totally. be outside of the academic realm. And I don't want them to be hyper-competitive about academics. Ah, that okay. was one thing that when I was growing up, and I don't know if that's changed or it's generational or it's where I was where I was sort of growing up. But these I, I do have a distinct memory of how hyper competitive. Really? Academics. Even back then. Not that you're. Yeah. Not, like, that it was all about me. like getting into college. And, sure, sure, sure. And it, it was just super, super competitive. More so than you think today? Well, I don't know. OK. But I've said to my I, I've always made it a priority for my kids. Uh -huh. um, I want them to take their you know, their sort of schooling seriously. But I don't want them to get hyper obsessed okay. with like you know, grades and sure. I, do well, I, but you don't have to do well, but I want them to be happy. Your, yeah. And, you know, my I, I have my son, for instance, is like super into building things, you know, like, mm. great. Like, that's that's awesome. Sure. OK, right on. Um, when you when did your when did your I, you mentioned just now that you were uh, that you took a liking to like the school newspaper? Like when did when did this sort of like journalism Thing, there's a better word for that. When did it like, start to like poke yeah, its was head? Yeah, it was in, it was in, in like um, eighth or ninth grade. Um, I I don't I don't think there was one moment, but there was a, a newspaper at school, and I started writing for it. Now I was extremely obsessed with sports. Ah. Um, I wasn't a very good athlete. I tried. I really wanted to be mm. an NBA okay. player. That, really? That, that didn't work. Yeah, I was really, really, really ridiculously obsessed with basketball. Really? Yeah. Sixers fan like, all the way to your core. Crazy Sixers okay. fan. Right. Like, Who's your favorite the, Sixers player of all time? Charles Barkley. Okay. Like that's that. I mean, that's my. That's he was when I was yeah, growing yeah, yeah, up. Yeah. Was like a god. Okay. In Philadelphia. All right. I and mean, he's he remains Char your god. Like yes. Okay. Like Charles Barkley. I mean, I met Charles Barkley once, actually, after a game, uh -huh. uh, and he signed his sneakers and gave them to me. <gasps> Did you cry? Uh, it was like the greatest moment ever. <laughs> I, I think I was 11 or 12, uh, uh, and I swear, like, if I, if I, if you asked me, like, if I could meet any celebrity, yeah, like Charles Barkley would be on the top three list. Really? To just like hang out with Charles Barkley. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That that's how. But <laughs> so I started writing sports. I started doing some sports writing. Sure. Uh, and that's when I really got, I got into it. And then mm -hmm. actually what got me 
ultimately got me away from sports was in 1992. I remember I was mm -hmm. in, I think I was in 10th grade or 11th, 10th grade. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. took a class about the, uh, called elections or something. And it was like a special class. Mm -hmm. Like they just, and mm -hmm. this, it was a class where it wasn't just the 10th graders. It was like, you could be in 11th grade or 12th grade. And none of the seniors, yeah. like the teacher was like, all right, we need one person to represent each campaign. Bill Clinton, yeah. uh, uh, George H.W. Bush, and Ross Perot. And none of the seniors wanted to do it because yeah. they were like checked out. They just wanted to be done with the year. And so I got sort of shoved into yep. doing it. And I was sort of the uh -huh. Clinton campaign, essentially a proxy for a school debate. And I represented the Bill Clinton campaign. Wow. In a, How in a, far in we have school. come, David. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. But to be to be honest, uh -huh. I mean, it was such a different time in a lot of ways. Yeah, of course. Meaning I didn't know much about politics really at all. Yeah, you were a 10th grader. Point. Like I didn't, I had no, there was just, politics just wasn't on my radar okay. at all. Okay. Two, the only thing I knew about Bill Clinton was that he wasn't, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and Republicans. Yeah. So that was, in my family, a, a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and by the way, it was Bill Clinton as as much of an establishment conservative corporate Democrat as we know we know him to be. And by the way, many people knew him to be back then. Yeah. To a especially to a young person, but even to many people back then, they had just gone through 12 years yeah. of Reagan and George yeah, Bush. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. that's going to make anybody yeah. who's not a Republican right. look okay. Yeah, that's right. You know, you could shine up a turd yeah. in 92. Right. Yeah. So, so, and, but, but I'll tell you, it was a, it was a great experience because like it really introduced me to the whole world. Like I had never thought about politics mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really, I really got the bug for, for that. But what about it gave you the bug? Was it, you just, what you were learning was interesting. You started to understand, you know, the levers of power or, or, or the, the ideological differences between people started to emerge. And that was interesting. Like, what about it was interesting? I think, that, to be honest, I think what was interesting, most interesting to me was the, was, I don't want to call it the game of it, but the sort of, the fact that it's its own world ah. with its own rules and its own, you know, norms, procedures, norms, procedures. How does this work? Yeah. And like, you know, like if you don't pay attention to it, it can just look kind of like a bunch of politicians giving speeches. Mm -hmm. But there was there's just so much more, mm -hmm. um, you know, tactics and strategy on the campaign. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was and by the way, that campaign was wild. What I do mean, you that mean? was the last time. I guess 96 was the last, but really 92. I mean, think about it. You had. A, an incumbent mm -hmm. who was weakened mm -hmm. and it was a serious three-person general election. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are listening to this who can't even, who've never lived through yeah. a general election mm -hmm. where there are three- Serious two, candidates. Three serious candidates. I, the, That's well, the wild. Last, the, it is wild, but we were kind of there in 2000 with Nader, no? Kind of, May, not to the same extent as Perot, but sure. I think that's the, la the last mainstream. time that there was a third-party candidate who at least could fill up an arena. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's right. right. That's I mean, right. but Ross Perot was like, what did he get? Nineteen, twenty percent. Yeah. I mean, that is like that's crazy. That is a game changer. Even if he doesn't win, that's a game changer in the way the election works. That, yeah, that's right. Hmm. I see. But it, but is was there one particular thing about being 
you know, Clinton surrogate in your high school that like that was like, ooh, that was like really attractive and really drew you in and like got its claws in you. Uh, I think I think it was I, I think I think the other part of it was it really felt like Bill Clinton back then was right hmm. and what he was saying was right. What do you remember, mean when you say that was right? It felt like he was right. What do you mean? Or try I back mean, to think try yeah, to think yeah, back yeah. to what you meant. Like George H. W. Bush really especially for like a young person, mm -hmm. is like offered no appeal. Sure. Snooze fest. Not just on policy, but even as like a Yeah. A retail candidate. A person. Yeah. It was like this sort of older aristocrat yeah. from a your grandparents' generation, yeah. sort of, I guess you know. Ish. You know. Yeah. And Bill Clinton was like celebrity, fresh, and young, hip. Young, exactly. Yeah. Like it was on Arsenio. Yeah, he had like some a, sex appeal. He, he, totally. No you know, sex. Like, he was like George a guy, H. even a. So, it really was. I mean, like, so he was. To be honest, I, I guess the way to put it is, I think he was like the first candidate I felt I can ever remember, mm -hmm. kind of culturally connecting with. Ah, ah, ah. Like this is I not see. just a politician. I this see. is like a like some it's like you know as a as a kid you're like there's like indian when i was growing up there's like indiana jones yeah. and there's han solo there's two harrison ford references <laughs> right and like politicians didn't ever reach that yeah. like bill clinton that was like wow he's like a cultural icon yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah. he's not just a politician like and that guy could be president yeah, that's yeah, cool yeah. okay okay all right interesting i uh, mean it's kind of lame talking about it like no, but how vapid your time. politics are i know when you're when you're what six, 17 16 right. years old uh -huh. like i just and I should say, I think that, you know, it's lame, but but I really think that the era that I grew up in at that age mm -hmm. was an unbelievably depoliticized era. Tell me what you mean by that. So I wrote a book about the 1980s called Back to Our Future, mm -hmm. um, which is the premise of the book is that 1980s pop culture included all sorts of political messages that taught us how to think about our world. Mm -hmm. uh, in a very subversive way in the sense of that when you're watching a television show or a movie or listening to a song, your your political filter is down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, not to get too deep into it, but... Don't have my brother, but, go but, ahead. But, but Dwight Eisenhower uh -huh. recognized this. There's a letter I'm kind of obsessed with where he was writing to somebody in the State Department mm -hmm. back in the 50s, and he was talking about... Um, uh, culture uh, propaganda vis-a-vis -vis the the Cold War, yeah. and he said the most powerful uh, uh, way to influence people is when the hand of the government is unseen. Ah, and through cultural products. So, point being, the 1980s I think was a very had a lot of that powerful political propaganda baked into seemingly uh, apolitical cultural products. Can you give me an example? Move. Uh, Sure. I mean, I think like shows like my favorite one is like, if you ever go back and watch the movie, The Ghostbusters? Yeah. I mean, The Ghostbusters is an incredible, almost wildly extremist anti-government parable where the <laughs> government can't get rid, can't do anything. The villain is the EPA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only people who can save the day are the private military. Wow. OK. I, I mean, I know about it's, it like it's like kind of it sounds funny and it is funny. Yeah. yeah. But but that's if you really think about it, yeah. like. And the point is, you don't think about it. Of course. You think about it like sort of a... St but baked into the assumptions yeah. in that movie is the government can't do anything. That's right. It's not effective. They're idiots. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, the and and the federal government is evil. Yeah, that's right. Actively. Actively creating the problem. 
right? And the the private and but the the funniest thing in that movie is that Bill Murray is constantly dropping jokes mm-hmm. about how much money they're gonna make, uh, right? You're gonna like we we came to save the day. David, this is fucking me up because now sorry. Sorry, because <laughs> now I'm gonna have to go back and watch it, and this is going to ruin me. Go ahead. No, no, it's I'm I'm a, look. I'm still a fan of the go. I'm, yeah, I, like, yeah. I love the I love watching that. Sure, movie, sure, sure, sure. But it's really amazing to think about it. And yeah. so I think my point was is that um, I think part of what was going on in the '80s and then into the '90s was mm-hmm. um, political mess, like in the arena of sports, for yeah. instance. Yeah. There was not a lot of athletes speaking out on political correct, issues. correct, making political statements. It was like a, it really, I would say, mid '80s to the, really through the '90s. Yeah. It was a very, like being, put it this way, mixing culture and politics was not a thing that happened. Correct. Very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Explicitly. Yeah. And I think that like. So growing up in a depoliticized time, Mm -hmm. you know, it took I I didn't get really my politics, Uh my own personal politics until probably later in life than a lot of people today may get their politics. Because I think we live in a much more politicized time. Of course. Of course. That's fair. Did you have a sense growing up of your parents and or your communities? kind of politic or ideology or were they also kind of apolitical it you know what i mean like like were you guys sitting down at the table and like well these the tax cuts this year that really seems wrong-headed and reagan is a bastard because la 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 he's closing down you know mental hospitals and that's not you know what i mean like were you guys were you guys that kind of honestly family? my i remember the best i can remember about my politics were that my one story that was told was that my grandfather cried sobbed when Adlai Stevenson lost oh in the 50s okay you know another another uh, you know I know that my mom and dad didn't like Ronald Reagan sure but I didn't have any sense of like like it was like the Democrats are good yeah, yeah. the Republicans are bad uh-huh. oh and they all hated Richard Nixon sure so it was a very simple schematic exactly okay okay exactly. but it wasn't it wasn't there wasn't yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there wasn't any real like ideology attached to kind of their partisan no, view. No, no, okay. it was okay. like no, and, and I think, I think you know, I grew up the, the the area I grew up in was a longtime Republican congressional district. Ah, but the Republicans were different then. They were like the, at least the ones from where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. they were like these kind of old school, quote unquote, moderate Republicans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I went to college at Northwestern in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, which was, by the way, a very, an incredibly depoliticized place, huh. like very non-political sort of campus. Really? While I was in college, I worked on a, 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 a congressional race in Chicago, uh-huh. which Who's? was really, uh, I worked in a, in a three-way race. The, one of the oldest, longest serving Congress people retired and there was an open seat wet race. Uh-huh. And I, I worked on one of the candidates and, and he ended up losing uh-huh. to Jan Chikowski now represents the district. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a three way race between the candidate I worked for, J.B. Pritzker, who's now governor. Uh, yeah. And Jan Chikowski. Wow. OK. Um, and but when I got back, just to let you know, like give you a sense of where I live, I grew up. I worked uh, on the congressional race mm-hmm. of a guy, a Democrat who was running for the fourth time. Ah. 
to try to win the seat. Aye. And he won. Oh, okay. After, in the late, in okay. the late 90s. But it took him four, four that times. That district that I grew up in had been Republican for 40 plus years. Wow, 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 wow. Until yeah. they made a switch. Until they made it. Now it's never gone back. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay, when it was time for you to go off to school, go off to college, like, what was that time like? Did you, did you, did you look out on your life and have a have a really clear idea of what you wanted to do like i want to do this political journalism thing because i love you know being and i say this with love i love being a pain in the ass asking the hard questions and in this your word this game not that you think it's a game but that i understand what you mean like so that's what i want to do or was it like oh you know i'm still kind of exploring i know i have this interest no. and blah, blah, blah. what was I, it like? I i i thought i knew what i wanted to do and which was i went to journalism school okay like that was it like that was it okay and I was, um, I had found, I felt like I had found the thing I wanted to do, which was write. Okay. Essentially communicate. Yes. Um, and you know, I mean, the, the one thing I've been thinking about now that I'm much older is, you know, I didn't go into it to, wasn't, you know, I feel like the media today rewards just creating trouble for its own sake. Sure. I definitely didn't go into it for that. And frankly, sometimes it bothers me uh -huh. that that's where we are. Uh, park right there. Tell me what you mean. I feel like now in the social media, uh, uh -huh. media dominated world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always been the newspaper business, the tabloid business yeah. that headlines attract people. But, you know, but I feel like in the social media world now, just being controversial for its own sake uh -huh. is now a Reasonable. media business model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, I hope this isn't true, but sometimes it feels like it's the only sustainable business model hey. in media. I don't think that's true, you know, I, but, but my point is only that like, that's definitely not why I went into media. Why did you go into it? Because I think there's a lack of good information out there. I'd say what you mean when you say that. Well, there's a there's a lack of good as in good as in not only accurate, uh -huh. but important. Ah, like those those to me. Can I add another thing? Is it accurate, important, and functional? Like this is something that I know I can do something with. Yeah, I think, but functional is like icing on the cake. Gotcha. Okay. By that I mean like there should be a value in information that is accurate okay obviously obviously that's a huge threshold now that's unfortunately correct. uh and um important and by that i mean something that you either need to know functionally in your com commute like i need to know is it snowing out yeah yeah that's right okay or i need to know this uh or i should know it not just because it's like funny mm -hmm. but i should know it as like a, a citizen mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in in the world yeah right like i should know about climate change yes i should know right and i think that now i think competing with that is like is a piece of information um or is a is a is a hot take on a piece of information uh -huh. nuclear enough uh-huh so that it's controversial, polarizing, and draws an audience just because it's, just because the statement itself is um, insane, <laughs> and like I, th that I think we've cre we have a media ecosystem that rewards the latter, uh -huh. and I think that's really, 
depressing. And I think what's re- what's particularly depressing, not to get too dark about it, no, is okay. that like my fundamental interest in journalism was predicated on the idea that if you put out, if you do good reporting that's accurate and provides important information, yeah. that that information will win the day. Uh-huh. And I'm not sure that's true anymore. We're in college. You went to Northwestern. Did you lose your goddamn mind when you got to college? Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Yeah, I was like really um, not ready for college. What do you mean when you say that? You didn't know how to do your own laundry or what? Uh, No, I mean, I think it was more like um, I've realized about myself. I'm like a I'm 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 kind of a late bloomer, I think. Okay. Like, I really believe that. How do you mean that, though? Like everything that I like a a lot. There's like various big and small life things that people go through that Uh I'm always like a year or two or three years late. Okay. Right. Like, you know, um, like I'm trying to give an example like, oh, here's an example. This is just a hilarious example. (laughs) I, I, uh, I think it was about six years ago. Mm -hmm. I came back from a conference. Yes. Covering a conference Uh for uh, Newsweek, International Business Times. And I was sick. Uh I got sick. And I went to the doctor and they couldn't figure out what I was sick with. Mm -hmm. And we figured out that I had mono. Oh. It was like, who gets mono at age 39? <laughs> like, it was like, sure. of course I got it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm always like five, ten years That's late right. on everything. David was So it was like, that was like, everyone was laughing about that. <laughs> like, I think I didn't, for instance, like, I was a total nerd, mm-hmm. class clown in, in high college? school. In high school. Uh, okay. uh-huh. And like, I, you know, I, I like never figured out girls in In high school high school okay i only like sort of started figuring out like how to have a girlfriend Mm -hmm. and like have a like i was a late bloomer Mm -hmm. when it comes to that like like the american pie series where they're all like having whatever and messing around in high school like that was just like not my high school experience gotcha you weren't quite the ladies man i was not the ladies man (laughs) in high school Uh so it's like i'm always like a little bit behind so so when i got to i mean when i got to college you know i um I sort of, um, it was, I was, it was, it was a good experience, but it was, it was kind of an angst-ridden experience. Really? It was it's like socially. Socially, okay. but then, I, but I figured it out. Okay. You know, like I mean, I had a great time, made great friends. Yeah. You know, I like, like, you know, I mean, I was the kind of kid in high school, for instance, where, I mean, high school's a hard time, mm-hmm. where I always took things so seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't figure out that like you know, you can be frankly more popular yeah. if you can be a little less serious and like make fun of yourself. Okay. So you, you know, so you, so you figured I that figured you, out like, how to be a class clown Okay. in order and which then like, instead of like, you know, typical teenagers making fun of you and then you get mad yeah, and you're yeah. like, you can laugh along with Sure, them, sure, sure. Be know, a little like, self-deprecating. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. But yeah. you figured that out in college. I, fi- I figured that I only started to figure that out in high school then you get to college in Uh college when you go to journalism school at northwestern it's like crazily competitive everyone's talking about i got this internship and that internship you can get totally caught up in like this the horse race the positioning exactly it's like i mean and then and then you realize later in life that everything's high school yeah that's right so you know so i mean i had a little i don't want to i had a great time in 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 college you didn't lose your mind i didn't i didn't 
I had one period where I lost my mind after I like I'm got dumped to... by my first girlfriend. Okay, you so know? you were like sad. And then I was also working for the summer, uh -huh. uh, the overnight shift at the Chicago Tribune. Ooh. So it's like, if anybody who's worked the overnight shift, it's like you don't see any of your friends anymore. Like yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. it. You were You're, like isolated. You were heartbroken and isolated. Literally, I'm like sleeping from, you know, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh -huh. when everyone, when all your friends are working. Yeah, and when they're right. coming home. You got to get ready to go to work. You got to get ready to go. And, and by the way, this was all done. I just gotten dumped. Yeah. And working the overnight shift at the Chicago Tribune on like, the, it was, I think it was on their like first website. Ooh. Yeah, way back. Wow. When. It was uh, in service of the journalism competition. Ah, I got to get a good internship and get it, you know. So you were miserable. That. Yeah, I was miserable. Oh, poor thing. How long did it take yeah. you to bounce back? Uh, the, uh, I might be getting the timing slightly wrong, but but um, I then ultimately soon after got into that campaign that I mentioned. Oh, okay, okay. I sort of was like, I want to go do something interesting. Gotcha. And then there was this wild congressional race. And that was a really awesome experience. Gotcha. And I don't know, like, the best part about campaigns or one of the best parts about campaigns, if you're on a good campaign, yeah. at least my memory of them it, back then, is like, you know, you all feel like you're in a, in a foxhole. Yeah. It's the bonding experience. Right. I mean, that That's is right. the best. And I, I, you know. You can't beat it. So about that campaign foxhole, your man goes there in part two. <laughs> Listen, it was 90 degrees the day I interviewed David, but that didn't stop him from spilling some piping hot tea. Ooh. All right, uh, you can head on over to Patreon for part two at patreon.com slash what's left to do. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash what's left to do. If Patreon isn't your thing, I'd love for you to support this work by heading to what's left to do.com and leaving us a little something in the tip jar. I would really appreciate it. <laughs> okay, I'll see you over on Patreon for David's very spicy part two. <laughs>